Could it be that up in heaven, God is sitting on his throne, anticipating another sinner will soon become his own? Years of wasted living and years of toil and strife are just about to be over as he receives the gift of life. Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness, he received my son. All heavens rejoicing, that's the value of one. The Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart. All he needs is a willing servant to simply do his part. Can you imagine up in heaven? The joy there'll be that day When a sinner bows his head to pray Can't you hear the Father say Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness he received my son, all heavens rejoicing, that's the value of one. Start construction on his mansion, there on Hallelujah Street. He doesn't know yet what is waiting when the Savior he will meet. Help me, go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness, he received my son. All heavens rejoicing. That's the value of one, all heavens rejoicing. That's the value of one. That's a good song, isn't it? The value of one. How important is just one soul to the Lord, amen? Well, 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 turn your Bible, if you would, over to the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 16. I've been warring with the message today. Uh, I had, uh, I basically had about three messages, and uh, this one just happened to be the one that uh, I think we're going to share today. But, man, I'll tell you what, it's been a challenge for me. Um, Yeah, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. You... you, um, Think about a deck of cards for just a moment. 
When you think about a deck of cards, I don't know about you, but I think of a lot of things. But one thing that I do think about is gambling. All right? I mean, you always have those shows you've seen in Vegas and they're snapping cards around or possibly in some t- programs you got people. I know nobody in here has ever gambled, but I'm just saying that uh, you got cards and you think about gambling. I think about dice. You think about dice, you know? Oh, I know. You think about Yahtzee, I'm sure. But I also think about gambling. People at the dice table, you know, roll the dice, you know? You know, mama needs a new pair of combat boots. Ooh. You know, that kind of thing, right? Okay? What about sports? You just think about sports in general. We have a good time with that. But, boy, I'll tell you what, sports betting has become so huge, right? I mean, it's massive now. It's whole, so huge. Act, even, even the uh, state of Ohio has legalized uh, sports betting, things like that. And, boy, I'll tell you what, it's big. Dan uh, Seligman he estimates that in his book, In Defense of Gambling, Forbes, June 23, 2003, it's actually a, an article, he said that Americans legally gamble $900 billion per year, almost a trillion dollars a year. Almost a trillion dollars. You think about that, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a lot of money. And um, I tell you, gambling's a real issue these days. It, it's, it's all around us, right? Okay. But... Don't get too nervous. I'm not going to talk about gambling, okay? You know, you're going to be okay. But we are going to talk about this aspect of gambling. Because I believe there's another even more serious thing we gamble with. Our souls. Our souls. Matthew chapter 16. Look what it says here in verse 24. Matthew 16 Beginning in verse 24 is where I want to start. Just a couple of verses. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Here it is now. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? At verse 26 is kind of the focus. It's kind of the real uh, uh, spotlight today. He says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? those Those are good questions. Questions we ought to ponder and think about. And so this morning... I want to share three things that make gambling with your soul a real problem. Three things that make gambling with your soul a real problem. We think that maybe gambling with our money is a problem, but let me tell you, gambling with your soul is a real problem, and I'm going to give you three reasons why this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you for another opportunity to gather today. Lord, thank you for these that have made their way to Community Baptist Temple. Our desire, our goal is to not only instruct, but to inspire a greater vision for you in each life. Father, may we want to be more like you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, for those that have yet to receive and accept the Lord as their personal Savior, we ask that they would settle that today and 
Father, for we who already know you, may our heart's desire be to be clean and pure, that we might be vessels unto honor. We love you and we desperately need you this morning. Fill me with your Holy Ghost and allow me to be your mouthpiece this morning. And Father, may you anoint every listening ear. And Father, may we hear those things that we need that bring life, liberty, and happiness. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. So, the problem with gambling with your soul is threefold this morning. I'm sure we could come up with a number of others. But just for the sake of time, let me state that the problem with gambling with your soul is that it's an all or nothing proposition. It's an all or nothing proposition. It's a winner take all. Hey, there's no gains, there's and then losses and then gains again. It's not quite like that. You get one shot at it and it's over. Life is often filled with compromise and compromise is not always a bad thing for the most part. As a matter of fact, it's often extremely productive and helpful. I mean, you give a little, you get a little, right? I mean, business is a give and take proposition. You may spend a little more money to procure that better quality product or that better service in the end. You give and you take. That's kind of a compromise. I'll spend a little money, more money on a car believing that the warranty is better and the longevity of that car and comfort of that car is worthwhile. So there's a compromise. There's a give and a take. And there's nothing wrong with that. You think about even marriage. It's filled with compromise. You agree to eat at her favorite restaurant in order to eat at yours the next time. Right? I mean, a little give and take. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, we in the church sometimes, you know, compromise is a bad word. It's not a bad word if it's used properly, and it's used often in the workplace, at home, at school, wherever we go. Nothing wrong with that. The problem with gambling with our soul is that it's an all-or-nothing proposition. It's not a give and a take. It's not, okay, well, I'll do this and I'll get a little of this and then I'll lose some of this and I'll get some of that. No, it's just winner take all. You either come out a winner or you come out a loser. You don't walk away from the table saying, I won a little or I lost a little. No, you either won it all or you lost it all. Now, I like to watch old westerns. I do. I like them. I, I got to admit. And uh, I'll get on there and start watching a a show and inevitably, you know, the scene shifts to the saloon, of course, where the group of cowboys are gathered around a table and they're gambling, right? I mean, it does, it happens. We've seen it. If it's on television or the internet, it's probably true. And through the course of the night, one of those homesteaders, of course, has lost their shirt, so to speak. I mean, they... they they planned a lifetime to go out west, and they got out west, and they got their land, and it just happens to be the prime land. It happens to be the land everybody else wants. And so they coax them into a game of, you know, poker or whatever it is, and somebody in there scheming and even cheating and eventually leads them to a place where the pot's big and they have to, what, pull out their 
deed. And into the pot goes the deed. And of course you got a carn shark on the other end or somebody that's cheating somehow, some way, and they just want their land. And sure enough, when the cards are laid out on the table, the homesteader loses it all. He doesn't just lose the money he's already lost. I mean, he thinks, I'm in so deep, I've got to get something back. But the problem is you don't just get something back. You don't just get a little here and a little there. Uh, listen, it's all or nothing with our soul. It's like the homesteader that puts the deed in and says, I'm going to put everything I've invested in my life. I'm going to put everything I invested in this land. I'm going to put everything I invested in my family in the pot right now. And it's going to either come out winner or loser. And that's exactly how it is when we gamble with our soul. It's an all or nothing proposition. And you know, Satan's not an honest gambler. He really isn't. He is intent on winning everything. And you know, the interesting thing is, is while you're in this life, there's an element where the devil will allow you to have some victories or small wins at the table, if you will, of life. You know, you gamble with your time or you gamble with your, your money. You're gambling with certain things. And he may give you a few little things, a few little victories or wins along the way to keep you reeling you in. But unfortunately, all he does that for is so that he has the opportunity to steal, kill, and even destroy to eventually take everything. He wants it all. He wants your soul. John 10, 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. See, the problem with gambling with your soul is that it's an all-or-nothing proposition. All or nothing. What else? Well, the problem with gambling with your soul is that it's a fool's game. It's a fool's game. Say, what do you mean? Even if you win in this life, you lose in the next. Even if you win in this life, you're going to lose in the next. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at our passage. It says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The implication is that in this life, you have gained something. In this life, you have gone somewhere or accomplished something. In this case, you've gained the world... But in the end, you still lose in the next life. It's a fool's game. But I'm winning. Yeah, but you don't understand. It doesn't matter how much you win in this life. You gamble with your soul, you're going to lose in the end, in eternity. Think about the richest person you can think of that's passed away. Do you think they care about their money anymore? Do you think it matters what kind of house they lived in or the kind of car they drove or the kind of society they rub shoulders with now? Nope. They're just rotten in the ground like everybody else. 
They're turning to dust like everybody else. And their soul is either in heaven or a place we often refer to as hell. It doesn't matter what they gained in life. If they gambled with their soul, my friend, they've lost it all. You know, when gambling, the odds are always stacked against you, right? I read that, I think it's like almost 260, uh, at one point, they, they, they took about $260 billion, and they said that about, I think it was almost 90, $90 billion came back to those that were gambling. So the majority of money, you know, the, the bigger portion of the money goes to those who are instituting the gambling, not to those that are gambling. You're going to lose far more than you gain. That's how it works. But when you gamble with your soul, you never win. Ever, ever, ever win. You always lose. It's a fool's game. Now, look to Luke chapter 4, would you please? Luke chapter 4. The passage describes someone our passage at least, that we have been addressing, deals with somebody again who's gained the whole world. If you could think about anything you wanted, anything, and everything you ever dreamed of or wanted, and you could have it for the next 50 years, Would it be worth it if you spent an eternity in hell? That's what our passage is teaching us. Our passage is helping us to understand that it doesn't matter how much we amass or how much we get in this life, in comparison to eternity, to gamble with our soul is a fool's game because you're still going to lose it all and spend an eternity separated from God. Look at in Luke 4. Watch this. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, verse 5, Luke 4, 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, shewed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. We're talking about the temptation of Christ now. Jesus has been baptized and now he is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness where for 40 days and 40 nights he doesn't eat or drink anything. And now here he is. Weak in the flesh, right? Can you imagine not eating? 40 days and 40 nights and here the devil comes to him and begins to tempt him. And he tempts him here in this particular passage by taking him up into a high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. They flash before his eyes. And the devil said unto him, verse 6, all this power will I give thee. What's he saying? All the power over all the kingdoms of the world. And the glory of them. I'll give you all the glory of them. Everything will be for you. All the riches and all the, the, the accolade and everything that goes with it. All the popularity. You. It's all about you now. And you will reside and reign over it all. For that is delivered unto me, he says, and to whosoever I will give it. You say, first of all, that's not even a proper offer because it wasn't the devil's ever. Yes, it is still. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that he is the God of this world. Little g God. Boy, I'll tell you what. We turned it all over to him when we turned away from God. And so God has allowed that to work through our history. The devil controlling the world. We see that all the way back with Nebuchadnezzar back in uh, when, when the Babylonians took over uh, uh, and, and put the Jews into captivity. We see the times of the Gentiles kicking off. And ever since, Gentiles have been in control of, the, of world history. And we recognize that the devil's in charge and in control of the world system. The economic system, the political system, the religious system, the social system. He's in charge of it all, running it all, and he has access to it. Oh, I know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, according to Psalm 24, 1. But the devil is the little G-God of this world. And so then he takes Jesus up, who came as a man and God, all man, all God, and he tempts him like he tempts us. And he says, I will give you the world if you'll fall down and worship me. It's mine to give. Jesus would not submit to that because there was a greater purpose. There was a long-range goal ahead. There was more involved than just himself even. There was you and me. Satan has been offering similar things to mankind forever. It's rather surprising how little we will sell our souls for these days. You think about it. I mean, Jesus turned down an offer of ruling the entire world. (laughs) That's pretty big. But many times we will Sell our souls, if you will, for some level of success, notoriety, or popularity. Can you imagine? And I was there in junior high, and in the midst of the junior high's uh, uh, class, I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be known, I wanted people to like me. But come on, carrying a Bible through the hallway... Standing up for Jesus Christ, that's not going to produce the kind of response I really wanted in my flesh. Man, I wanted people to go, hey, man, what's up? Man, you're awesome. Of course, I was. (laughs) But you know what? There's teenagers that will not come to Jesus Christ because they would rather be popular in the hallway at a junior high school than to be popular with God. I'm not mad at teenagers at all because there are adults doing the same exact thing at work or in the world in which they live. How little we will sell our souls for. We will gamble our souls away for nothing, seemingly. And many of us that are older now that have gone through those years and have seen where it all lands and recognizes that there's probably not one of your junior high friends that you even care about anymore. And you go, why was I worried about all that? We say, that's crazy, teenagers. Wake up, serve Jesus. Well, what about us? It's amazing to me how little we'll sell our souls for these days. A little pleasure. Another high. 
unearthly relationship, comfort, or relaxation. And as satisfying as some of those things may be for the time being, they can be deadly if they become our greatest pursuits. And the problem is, is that although you may gain in this life, you end up losing in the end. There is no way to win when you gamble with your soul. No way to win. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, please. See, the Bible points out a very important principle that we are born into sin. That's a problem. Look what it says in Romans 5, 12. In this particular passage, the passage reminds us of why we are sinners, not just that we are sinners. And that's important to know. Have you ever talked to somebody that kind of thought that they weren't quite a bad sinner? They were a good sinner? You, you've been there, right? Well, I'm a good person. Yeah, but that's not the gauge. It's not a matter of what you're doing. It's not a matter of how kind you are even now. The fact is that sin is not gauged based on what you're doing with your life at the moment necessarily. It's not just what you do. It's more about who you are. You say, what? Well, look at the passage. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Now, we know who that one man is. If you are in any way familiar with the Word of God, if you've gone to Sunday school at all, you probably know who we're speaking about already. If you haven't, let me tell you, it's simple. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and He told them you can eat of every tree of the garden except the one in the midst of the garden. The day that you eat of that tree, thou shalt surely die. Well... They ate of it, and God had to keep his word, and he removed them out of the garden, and he removed them out of his presence, and they began to age, and they surely died. And the Bible tells us, wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world. That one man was Adam, and death by sin. Until sin entered the world, there was no death. Now there's death because of sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So Adam sins, death enters the world, and then everybody else that's born after Adam, because Adam and Eve get together and have a child, and the two of them are sinners, and they have a sinner. And a sinner gets together with another sinner and has another sinner. And those sinners get together and they have a sinner all the way down till you get to you, and you, and you, and me. We're all sinners. Not because we're such bad people in the world in which we live. We are sinners because we are sinners at the root. We bear the mark of Adam. This whole thing about race and everybody, you know, not being equal. Can you think about it for a moment? We all come from the same guy. What is the problem with us? Doesn't anybody see the truth? We are all sinners, though, too. 
We all come from the same corrupt blood, the same corrupt seed, Adam's sin. And that makes us sinners. And that's why the Bible says, for that all have sinned. No perfect people, no righteous people in God's sight. We're all sinners in God's sight. Now we can dress it up real nice. We can act as kind as we can and we can make people believe we're really good. But we're not fooling him because he sees way down deep. So the sin of Adam immediately contaminated all of humanity. And from that time that he sinned, every person born has been born in the same condition, a sinner. We have sayings in our soul winning program, I'm not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I am a sinner. A sinner is what I am, not what I become. We're born that way. We'll live that way. We'll die that way. And you know, the sad part is, is that my sin condemns me before the highest court in heaven. Look in John chapter 3. One of the most familiar passages is John 3.16. We'll look there for just a moment, but I was watching the Cavaliers the other night play their, their game, their, their first playoff game, and somebody was holding up a sign, and it, I don't know, I can't remember what it said on the sign, but it, it, it wasn't a gospel thing. But I thought to myself, why are they showing that? That doesn't even make sense, that sign. It doesn't really say anything. It's not advertising really anything cool or anything. And I thought, I wonder if they got John 3.16 on the backside. Because you're not allowed to show signs anymore. Have you noticed you can't see those signs anymore? And tell them they won't show them. And I thought, this dude is probably pretty smart, or that lady, whoever had the sign. She's holding it up like this toward the crowd. It's probably saying 3.16 to the crowd. And on the other side, it was saying nothing. Hardly. I'm like, what's that? I thought, smart. Somebody's probably pulling one over. And I thought, that's a good one. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I'd like to hope and believe that is. They probably threw him or her in jail after the game. But anyway, John 3, 16, look at this. You know the passage probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Hold on. It goes on though. Look at verse 18. It goes on to say in verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Do you see what's going on? Remember that sin of Adam that we're born with? We're sinners at the root. Guess what? We're already condemned, the Bible says. We've already been found guilty by the highest court in heaven. You say, but I'm trying to do better. Doesn't matter. You can't do enough. I can't do enough because it's what we are. It's not just what we do. It's what we are and who we are, sinners. And if we're going to spend an eternity with him, then we got to deal with that. So we continue to play Satan's games. We stand no chance of escaping the penalty of our sin. To be condemned to an eternity without Christ in a place called the lake of fire. That's a horrible thought. It's a fool's game. You and I can't win. No matter how much you gain in this life, it will never be enough. Because in the end, you'll forever be separated from God in the lake of fire. Don't, don't gamble with your soul. 
Don't gamble with your soul. The problem with gambling with your soul is that it's an all-or-nothing proposition. It's a fool's game. And finally, number three, and, it, and lastly, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. Listen, you never recover from that loss. Never, ever recover from it. There are no other opportunities to win back what you have lost. If it's lost, uh, if it's lost, it is lost forever. And so are you. Again, we said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. In Revelation 20, 14 and 15, turn over there, would you? I want you to see Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Someone says, you know, and again, I understand this, I do, and, and, and as a person I get why people might say things like this, but we have to be very careful because how we feel about things isn't always what's true. Someone says, yeah, but God's a God of love. There's no way he would allow anyone to go to hell or to be separated from him forever. That's impossible, preacher. It's not going to happen. You obviously don't know God. And my point would be, it's not a matter of whether you know God or I know God. It's what God says about himself. Who is God? Who's he say he is? This is the key. This is the difference. Yes, I would love to believe that nobody goes to hell. I, I would like that in one sense. But then on the other hand, maybe I wouldn't like it if somebody harmed one of my family. Maybe I wouldn't like it if somebody did some heinous, horrible thing to a loved one family member, or friend. Maybe, I, I, maybe in my flesh I might actually like the thought of justice. Have you ever thought that justice is a good thing? It usually is when something happens to us and we want them to get their just uh, dessert. When something happens to you, I can say, oh, you just need to be good. It's cool. But when it happens to me, I'm like, whoa, when they get in theirs. And again, God's not at my level. That's, I'm not saying he is. My point is, is that if you really get to know who God is, the Bible says he's a just God. It's kind of scary, really. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 20, 14. And death and hell... So wait a second. Oh, keep going. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Obviously, there are those that are written in the book of life, and there are those that are not written in the book of life. There's a distinction being made. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are those that will perish, and there are those that will come to repentance. The Bible said in, in John, when we were looking at it just a moment ago, when we saw it in 3.18, he that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So there are those that are not condemned, and there are those that are condemned already. Now again, it's, it's, 
It's not something that I made up. I, I, I'm just reading it from the scriptures and it's important for us to wrap our minds around this concept that God is a just God and that there are those that will spend an eternity without him and there are those that will spend an eternity with him. The question is, who? In Revelation 20, 10, the Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and there shall be no tormented, and there shall be, they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So this lake of fire is a place where the devil and, and those that he, uh, and, and, and those that his demonic beings as well, will spend an eternity being tormented forever and ever. It's called the lake of fire. And yet in Revelation 20, 15, the Bible says this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the same place. That means that the characteristic of that place is a place of torment day and night forever and ever. I don't know about you, but that's not pleasant to me at all to even talk about. But the Bible teaches it, and it's so important that we understand that as human beings, we are those sinners that come out of the, the corrupt bloodline of Adam. And we live our lives in sin until we make a conscious decision to do something about that sin. If we gamble with our soul, we are not going to win. If we gamble with our soul, the stakes are super high. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher, said, he lived years and years ago, he said, in hell there is no hope. They have not even the hope of dying, the hope of being annihilated. They're forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell there is written forever. In the fires there blaze out the words forever. Above their heads they read forever. Their eyes are galled and their hearts are pained with the thought that it is forever. Oh, he goes on to say, if one could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out and that those who were lost might be saved, there would be a jubilee in hell at the very thought of it. But it cannot be. It is forever. They are cast into outer darkness. The stakes are too high to gamble with your soul. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to gamble with your soul. You can simply acknowledge Jesus Christ, the very one we spoke about last Sunday on Easter, who died, was buried, and rose again, who literally came to earth to pay for your sin. You can accept what he did as payment. You can allow his finished work on Calvary to be the last Work needed in your life to save your soul and to wash you clean and to give you eternal life. Don't gamble with your soul, but bet on a sure thing, Jesus Christ. See that Romans 6.23 continues, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Simply place your trust in Jesus Christ. Rest in Him alone. George Whitfield, a powerful preacher, preached outdoors for years, lived a number of years ago. I mean years and years ago. He once said this. He said there'd be some in heaven who were the devil's castaways. Some that the devil would hardly think good enough for him. 
and yet whom Christ would save. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how wicked you may have been to this point in your life. Doesn't matter. You're loved by Jesus Christ, and He will save you from your sin. But you don't know what I've done. Have you stopped breathing yet? Nope. Then stop gambling with your soul and simply trust the one who loves you enough to send his son to die in your place. It's not too late for you, friend. I don't care how wicked you believe yourself to be. I don't care if even the devil himself says, he ain't good enough for me, she ain't good enough for me. Jesus says, I'll take him. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. I'll not cast you out. You come to me the way you are, but you come to me in honesty. You come to me in sincerity. You come to me humbled, admitting your guilt and your sin before me, a holy God. You let me know that you appreciate my love and the sacrifice that I made. You call on me and invite me into your life, and I will hear you, and I will accept you. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't gamble with your soul. You're going to lose. You'll lose. Father, we come to you. Today, Lord, in our midst, there might be those that are yet to receive and accept Christ that may be trying to somehow gain the things of this world. But, Lord, it's quite clear, Lord, that we can gain the whole world and still lose our own soul. Lord, may we not gamble with our soul. May we simply call upon you, Lord Jesus. Simply invite you into our life and allow you to forgive us, to save us, and to give us that home in heaven. Oh God, we need you today. And in this crowd today, Holy Spirit, may you convict the, 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 the chiefest of sinners. Lord, I know in our own hearts we feel that way when the Holy Spirit brings conviction. We feel that we're the worst sinner of all. And Lord, that's good if it brings us to you. Now, Father, bring that kind of conviction that brings change in a life, a supernatural change, a change from being lost to being saved, a change from being on our way to the lake of fire to on our way to heaven. Oh, God, do this work in lives and hearts today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you don't know for sure heaven's your home, and you've been gambling with your soul. You've put something else above, even the Lord Jesus Christ. You've decide to amass either money or pleasure or fame or something. You put someone or something above him and, and, and you're gambling with your soul today. It's time to call on the Lord. It's time to put him in his rightful place in your life. Won't you admit your sin and call upon him today as your savior? Won't you do that? And today, if that be you, won't you just come to the front and I'll be glad to have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that Christ is your Lord and Savior. Myself or Brother Josh would be glad to point you in the right direction, give to you a woman if you're a woman, a man if you're a man, and help show you from the Word of God how to be saved. Father, bless this time of invitation, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The music